Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 1. The book of Psalms, chapter number 1. The way of the blessed, or living blessed. And we come to a place in Scripture tonight that I fear that many people are avoiding uh, from our pulpits today um, because Scripture like this has been so taken out of context by certain pastors and certain people uh, that a lot of people shy away from it as to not be lumped into the category of being a a prosperity gospel type of preacher, you know, And anytime you start to say the word blessed, I suppose you could risk uh, being misinterpreted or or being misunderstood, but nonetheless, the word blessed is in the Bible. It's here. It's not like we can avoid it and and pretend it's not there in an effort uh, not to have to deal with it. Um, So I want to be very clear that being blessed by God is an important part of the Christian life. Um, it, It just is. Uh, Now, I also want to be clear that when I say the word blessed at the first part of this voice, I'm not verse, I'm not in any way referring to rich or wealthy or a temporal pleasure or or something that you can tangibly put your hands on. When I talk about the results of being blessed, I'm talking about an eternal, uh, a spiritual, a peace, a comfort that only comes from a relationship with Christ. That's the kind of blessed that we're talking about when we talk about living blessed tonight. I want to be very clear because far too often people have stood up and said, oh, I'm, I'm too blessed. And then they start to name off all the temporal things that they have. I'm so blessed. I've got more money in the bank than I've ever had in my life. I'm so blessed I have this. I'm so blessed I have this. And, and all of those things, I'm not saying they're not a result of God's blessings on your life, but ultimately the blessing on your life is to say I've been saved. To say that I've been redeemed, that I've been set apart, that I've been captivated by Jesus Christ and I have a relationship with Him. And that is really what it means to live blessed. Not that you know What's going on here is going to be happy and great. It's that you know that forevermore, your eternity has been determined and you've been sealed and you've been delivered by Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people out there that'll, you know, play that name it and claim it and smile and be happy and come to church and and you'll be rich and, and they fill churches up all across this great land with that great message that if you just come to Jesus, everything's gonna be just great. And then they smile real big. And I just wonder what happens when the people that go to their churches don't hit the lottery of life after listening to them say that. Do they, do they go to them and say, well, preacher, I thought you said if I just named it, I could claim it. And I've been naming it and I've been praying it, but I sure ain't claiming it. Things are still tough. I wonder if the preacher just looks at him and says, well, you didn't smile big enough. You you just didn't believe it enough. I want us to keep in perspective as we dive into these three verses this evening that we're talking about the blessing that comes from a place of getting into your life and living kind of like Paul when we talked about Paul last week. A place where he got to the point that he said, I am 
completely, totally, utterly satisfied with just Jesus Christ. I have everything because I have learned in all things to depend just on Jesus Christ. That is where we get when we get to the place where we can say, I am living blessed because I have found that Jesus Christ is not only enough, he is incredibly sufficient for all my things. So please stand as we honor the reading of God's holy word from the first chapter of the book of Psalms in the first three verses this evening. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we stand before you acutely aware, God, that everything that we have is a gift from you, Lord. God, we stand before you aware that the very breath that we draw comes from you, Lord. And so in light of that, God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell amongst us this evening and let the... Word of God, come into our hearts and into our minds and change our lives as only you can transform us, Lord. Bind any spirit from this place that ain't your Holy Spirit, Lord. And that you would be glorified and it's in your precious saving name that we pray and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Here as we come to this Psalm of David, we see some commands. We see some do's and we see some don'ts for the man uh, who is to be blessed. Now keep in mind as we get going a few things contextually. One, David. David writes this psalm and he came from a very humble beginning. He was a shepherd. And we've studied before, but I want to just, just remind you that shepherd, it was not really considered a noble profession in that day. I think a lot of times we think of Jesus and his reference to being the good shepherd, and we sort of glamorize the title shepherd just a little bit. But in that day, shepherd was really a job that was reserved for people that didn't possess a lot of skills otherwise. That's how you would end up in the field as a shepherd. It's kind of because you really weren't an artisan in other things necessarily. And so he was a shepherd boy. But even in his family, he, he wasn't the mightiest of his siblings. You'll remember the story. His brothers were out at war. And he was left behind just to be a shepherd. Because his dad comes to him, he says, David, I want you to go out to your brothers and I want you to check on them. They're at war. And David goes out to his brothers and he checks on them. And you guys remember what happened, right? He's there checking on them. Some great big giant named Goliath is screaming at them, saying that they ain't got nobody to come and fight. David says, well, I can go fight. And he goes and he slays the giant. And that's where David went from being the lowly beginning and the humble beginning. And he started his ascent. And so he was just a shepherd. Born with little, but he became the king of Israel. And who better to write us a story is than someone who had endured a time of little and then in time of plenty. He endured times where he was so close to God that he was in such communion with God. And, 
And he endured times where sin seemed to be his best friend, where he was so enthralled in his sin that he just couldn't seem to shake it. And so as he writes this psalm, David writes it with a knowledge of what it feels like to be on both sides of the blessing spout. He knows what it feels like to be right there in the will of God, and he knows what it feels like to be way out here outside of the will of God yearning to be back in. Does anyone in here know what I'm talking about on both sides of the blessing spout? You ever been on both sides in your life? And so that's kind of where David writes, starts to write his psalms from, is he has that same experience. And so we can relate to that. The other thing I want us to remember is the definition of that word blessed as it starts. It literally means holy. The Hebrew word here for blessed literally means to be straight or to be right, to be holy, to be straight. So it's not referring to physical riches. It, does, it couldn't be substituted out and say wealthy is the man because that wouldn't be applicable at all. When it says blessed, it literally means holy, consecrated, living for God, living right is the man. It's kind of how that could be, be thing. And the first thing we see in verse 1, uh, we see some things that people who are blessed things they cannot do. We see at least three things that we must avoid if we are living a blessed life. And one of those things, the first thing it mentions is that we cannot walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It says we cannot stand in the way of sinners. We cannot sit in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression there. Those who are not blessed, those who are not set apart, they, they'll, they'll sit in poor counsel. And then they'll start living in the ways of sin. And then they'll just become outright scornful. They'll literally be scoffers. They'll almost scoff at the thought of being holy. In other words, they're so entrenched in their sinful lives that they, they start to even look down on people who aren't living in sin with them. Other people who don't believe in it, they'll start to scoff at them and make fun of them. You ever met anyone that would do that to Christians? That would almost act like there's something wrong with you because you believe in God? That's the seat of the scornful. That's what it's talking about there. People that move from that place where they, they had the ungodly counsel, then they started to live in their sin and love in their sin and walk in their sin, and then they just got outright scornful towards people who were blessed, people who were living holy. And so first, let us look at the ungodly counsel. Ungodly counsel could come from, from many places, I would suppose. Uh, we all know someone who isn't a Christian, who doesn't follow the ways of God and gives advice to you, right? We all have that person in our lives who's never accepted Christ, who's never walked in the ways of the Lord, but is readily available to hand out advice to you. And sometimes they even maybe give you good advice. Maybe you have an accountant friend who gives good financial advice, but it doesn't come from a place of honoring God. Here's the problem with that. I just want to give you an example. I'm not saying you can never hear a word from somebody that doesn't know the Lord and, and get some good advice from them. But by and large, if they're not honoring God with their means in their lives, they're probably not the best people to be giving you your counsel because take, take that financial person, for instance. If you were to go to them and talk to them about how to stretch your money further, 
I'm going to say when you showed them your, your spreadsheet of how you spend your money and you said, well, I give a portion to the local fellowship, to the local church, each and every time I get paid, I give a portion to the church, and that's my tithe. And I'm quite positive if they're not looking to honor God with their lives, they're going to go, well, there's a pretty good percentage you could take and sock away in an investment and earn even more money. But what's the Word of God say about the investment strategy of giving to the local church? I'm pretty sure the Word of God says bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. And then he goes on to say, and I will pour out blessings unto you that you cannot even count. I will pour these things out to you and heap these things upon you. Somebody that doesn't give godly counsel doesn't understand that. And so you start to take that advice. And I know that's, good job, Brother Jason, you come up with a tithing example. In a year and a half, it's the first time I've mentioned tithing from the pulpit. So get off my back a little bit. But literally... If you're seeking that counsel from a place that isn't godly, you're not going to get godly advice. You're not going to get somebody telling you what to do to honor God if they're not looking to honor God in their lives because they're seeking to serve themselves. And they're going to give you advice that serves yourself. But where else can we get our ungodly counsel? Obviously from people that don't know the Lord and we're quick to to point out to them. But I think there's a bigger place where we get our ungodly counsel for And I believe it's in the mirror. I believe when we look in the mirror, we see our number one source of our ungodly counsel that we can get caught up in. We're our biggest enemy. And maybe you know what I mean. Maybe you're all looking at me going, well, Brother Jason's got a lot of problems if he's his first advisor. Yeah, I probably do. But when we seek to lead our own lives, and we seek to please our own selves, we kind of continue to move further and further away from the will of God, don't we? I mean, even the Apostle Paul, what did he say? He said, I struggle to do the things that I want to do, serving God. Yet I keep doing these things that I don't want to do, serving myself. The war between the flesh and the spirit is continuous. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, we talked about that guy this morning, shipwrecked on Malta, spreading the gospel, getting bit by a snake and shaking it off. That dude, if anybody could stand and name it and claim it, it'd be the Apostle Paul. And he said, I struggle to follow the Lord. I struggle to walk in the ways of the godly. I struggle to seek his face always in the things that I do. So we do that as well. And maybe I'm the only one. If I am, I'm preaching to myself. But we move further and further and further away from the blessed life, from the holy life, when we seek our own counsel. It goes on though. He says, Don't seek your own counsel. Don't don't seek the counsel of the ungodly. Seek to serve God. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Now, if you read that really quick, you could think that it says, don't stand in the way of sinners as if you're saying, don't block them from sinning. But that's not what that's saying at all. I want to be clear. When it says, don't stand in the path of sinners, you could probably translate that, in my opinion, a little better if you said, don't stand on the sinner's path. Don't don't go to where the sinners are and do what the sinners are doing. Don't live the lifestyle. Don't get caught up on that path. Now, I want to be very clear because I don't want anybody to go out of here and say, Brother Jason said we don't need to go to sinners and evangelize them because we're not allowed to talk to them. That's not 
even close to what I'm saying right here, okay? That would be completely contrary to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to the sinners. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. But don't stay in their path and look like them. You ever heard that saying? I know there's not a parent in the room who hasn't said it if you've had a teenager. Run with dog, you catch the fleas. Right? Stay with pigs, you get in the mud, you get it. Stay with sinners, start sinning. It's pretty simple truth. Now again, I'm not saying we don't go and evangelize. I'm saying we don't go and become what they are. Think about a salmon. This is the best example I could come up with. So you got this stream flowing this way, and you got all these fish that swim with the stream, and you have this salmon that goes the other way. He's in the same stream, isn't he? He's in the same water. He's just going the other way, and that's kind of what we're supposed to look like when we're in the world as Christians. When we go out and we're telling people about Jesus, we're supposed to be there. We're supposed to be the light of the gospel. We're supposed to be telling them about Jesus, but we're not supposed to look like them because we're going in a different direction. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not going in that direction anymore because when I was going in that direction, I got to a part one day where I saw a cross and I said, there's a Savior, and I turned and started going the other way, and I've been trying to go that way ever since that day and the thing is I want everybody else to turn around and go with me but they just won't and so I can't I can't turn around and swim down with them so I look like them because that's the craziest thought I ever heard in my life you can't serve two masters you're only going to serve one you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve yourself you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve yourself it blows my mind, the number of people who start coming to church and they come in my office and they say, I'm going to start living for God and I'm going to rededicate my life. And, or maybe they say, I want to get saved. And then they turn around and they start living their lives in such a fashion that they're trying to see just how close to their old sinful self they can get without falling in. Uh, countless times they've been in my office. They said, boy, it was going so good, Brother Jason. I gave my life to Jesus and everything was going so good and I was coming to church and then I started hanging out with those same people and it just pulled me further and further and further away. I said, really? That's a big shocker, isn't it? You mean to tell me when you were coming to church and you were serving God and you were hanging out with other people that were serving God, you were closer to God than when you got back in the world and started doing the things that your worldly friends were doing? Oh my goodness, that is a complete and total shock. You stood in the path of sinners and you started going down the path with the sinners. I just never saw it coming. I mean, it would be like an addict telling me that they're going to kick the habit of drinking by hanging out in the bar. What? How can you do that? Why, why would you do that? Even if you think you're strong enough, what sense does it make? There's nothing good that can come from it. And I hear people say this to me, and I, it's always misconstrued. Well, how can we evangelize them if we're not going to live with them? I didn't say be scared of them and treat them like they got strep throat and spray them with Lysol. 
I just said treat them like they're dying and love them enough to tell them that their sin ain't okay. Love them enough to tell them that the path they're on is the wrong path. Love them enough to pretend like they're dying because I got news for you, they're dying. So love them enough to tell them they're dying. Love them enough to be different. Guys, I want to ask you a question. If there's anybody in the congregation that can tell me, or if there's anybody that can go find one of those people sitting on the seat of the scornful that can show me in Scripture where it says that Jesus Christ entered a town and started acting like a Pharisee, then I'll change my stance on this verse. But it's not there. When he went into town, he acted counter to the culture. And a lot of people started following him. There were more people saved when he was acting countercultural than have ever been saved by a pastor standing up and pretending to be part of the culture around him in order to evangelize. That's not evangelizing, that's drawing a crowd. We're not in the business of drawing crowds, we're in the business of sharing the gospel, people. If we want to live a life that is blessed, we can't stand in the path of the sinners. And we won't sit on the seat of the scornful. That would be looking at all these things I've just said with kind of a dismissive sneer. Oh yeah, here you go with that old Jesus mess again, preacher. There you go with that junk. I guess now you're going to, I guess you're going to try to tell me that my suffering is ultimately for my own good now, aren't you? No, but I am going to tell you that your suffering is ultimately for his glory. If you know him, I'm going to tell you that ultimately whatever you're going through, whatever trial you're battling, whatever situation you're in, that my copy of God's word tells me that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. So if you love him, it's for his glory. So there's things that the blessed people won't do, but let's look in verse 2 at the things they will do. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Meditate on it day and night. You can't seek the counsel of the wicked if you're meditating on the word of God day and night, can you? I mean, really, if, if you're going to your copy of God's word and seeking to follow the commands of your Lord, do you really have time to go and seek godly, ungodly counsel? Of course you don't. You're not going to find ungodly counsel in the Word of God. You're going to find that in the mirror and you're going to find that in people, but you're not going to find it in the living, breathing Word of God. So you're not going to need those other things to try and fill you and try to show you and try to move you because you're going to be so moved by meditating on Scripture that you don't got time for that mess. In Romans, Paul writes that we'll be transformed by the renewing of what? Our mind. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. How are we counted as blessed? How are we counted as straight and right and holy? Because we renew our minds. How do we renew our minds? Well, first we give them to Christ, and then we focus on the Word of God day and night. We allow every decision and every moment to be captivated solely by the Word of God. I had somebody tell me one time, and I wish I could remember who it was because it was quite an intelligent statement. He said, you want to change your mind? Feed it different things. Right? I'm no fitness guru. I'm no diet genius. But in the last 10 years, 
I've probably looked like a balloon more often than most of you because I've gained weight and I've lost weight. Sometimes I've lost as much as 70 pounds and then gained as much as 80 to make up for it. But you know one thing, every single time that plays through, when I'm on the way down, I'm putting different things in my body than when I'm on the way up. Same thing can be said when we're walking straight and right and blessed, if you get right down to it. When your mind is focused on godly things, you're putting godly things into your mind. And when you start to focus on worldly things, it's because you start to put the worldly things in your mind, and it just sort of kind of follows what you put into it, doesn't it? I mean, think about David. David went from a shepherd to a king. From a shepherd to a king. And how did he do it? Well, it started as he walked through the battlefield, and his mind was completely transformed by faith, wasn't it? I have enough faith that I can slay this giant because God is with me. But that same shepherd boy one day sat on a rooftop and didn't possess enough faith to put something in his mind that would stop him from looking at a woman with such lust that he would have to have her, that he would have her husband killed, that he would do what he had to do to try to cover up his sin. This is the same guy. He's already slayed a giant with his faith, and yet he drifted away from God because his mind became focused on something else. So we don't seek the counsel of the ungodly. We don't stand in the path of sinners. We don't sit in the seat of the scoffer because we focus on the Word of God. We meditate on it day and night. We've got to change the way we think when we're blessed, and that means we have to, to meditate on things that are not of this world. Focus on the Word of God and let it be what changes your life. Let it dwell within you and then watch how your life is transformed. And we're going to close this evening. And I'd love to spend more, more time here, but we'll come back to it another day. I just want us to look real quickly at what happens as a result of living the life of the blessed. Look at verse 3 with me. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he doeth shall prosper. You avoid living a sinful life. You dwell on the things of God. You'll be like a tree rooted in the Word of God. Many of you know that I spent a vast majority of the first part of my working life as a plumber. One thing I learned as a plumber is a great example that I, that I see in this, in this verse. I learned that a tree, its roots, will find their way to their water source. I learned that by digging up a lot of people's septic tanks, but we'll talk about that another night. And so when I see this, it says... When you dwell on the Word of God, you'll be like a tree. You'll be planted by that river of water. In other words, you'll be right there by that cistern that provides that living water, and your roots will be strong. They won't have to travel far to get to their water source. They'll be right there by the source of living water, Jesus Christ. What did he say to the Samaritan woman? He said, you take a drink of my water, you won't thirst no more. That's what he's saying here. We'll be planted right there by the spout where the blessings pour out from Jesus Christ when we plant ourselves in his word. 
You ever met somebody who just seemed to have it all together? Anybody in here ever met somebody that seemed to have it all together? Y'all got bad friends. I've met people that seem to have it all together. I'm not going to lie to you. But they don't. They don't have it all together. What they've learned to do is delight themselves in the ways of the Lord. They've learned to change their perspective from an earthly perspective to a heavenly perspective. And when you do that, you can get bit on the hand by a viper and it just don't matter no more because it's for God's glory anyway. You can be imprisoned in Rome and you don't really care. You can say the adversity doesn't bother me as long as the gospel is furthered, like Paul said. You learn to dwell so much in the word of God that your desire becomes to seek to see him glorified with your life and not to see yourself glorified, then that's when you'll have the desires of your heart. I've heard that verse so many times in my life. Oh, God, give us the desires of our heart. Yeah. Once those desires are his glory. First it says, learn to seek him. Seek his glory. Seek to see him lifted up. And then he'll give you the desires of your heart because your heart's desires will be his glory. And why are we here? For his glory. Why are we here? To display the glory of God here in his creation. When it says all he does shall prosper, I believe there could be a financial prospering that we can take from that, but I don't think that's David's main purpose in writing this. I believe he's saying that when the focus is on a heavenly ending, what's it, what's it mean to prosper? It really means to succeed, doesn't it? Abundantly succeed. Well, if the end result is that God would be glorified with your life, when you focus on the ways of God, I promise you he'll be glorified in your life. I know that because it tells me that in the copy of God's word that I have. When, you're, when your end result that you're looking for is your heavenly home, when you know Jesus and you focus on his ways, you are going to prosper. You're going to succeed abundantly. And everything you do is going to seem prosperous because your attention is going to be that Christ would be exemplified in your life. And so tonight as we close, I have but one question for you. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? Are you meditating in the ways of the Lord, seeking to see him glorified? Or are you seeking your own ungodly counsel in your life? Because ultimately at the end of the day, that's the question as believers that we have to ask ourselves. Am I living for me? Or am I living for Christ? Let's pray. Father God, God, we thank you for these three verses. God, we ask that you would convict us of the things that separate us from your will, Lord God. We ask that you would move in our lives in such a way that we would lay those things down that hold us back from living a life that is holy and consecrated and set apart by you, Jesus. God, call to our attention our sin. Call to our attention the ways in our life that we're seeking to serve ourselves and not you, Lord God. And allow us individually to lay those down so that corporately we can glorify you better, Lord Jesus. 
God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're going to do. And we pray that everything we say and do would glorify you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.